This is the Emerging Women Podcast, where we become inspired to live and lead from the truth of who we are. We're creating a new paradigm for power that includes the feminine perspective because the world needs it. Welcome, Emerging Women, to a fabulous, spicy podcast we have today, working with Christine Kane and her new book, The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur, an unconventional success plan for the, and tell me if you relate to this, highly creative, secretly sensitive, and wildly ambitious. Okay, so this definitely talks about our audience almost to a T. I want to tell you guys a little bit about what I know and how I'm connected to Christine. Christine and I became connected when Emerging Women was just, well, emerging. She was one of our core speakers very early on in our first event, and she pretty much rocked the stage in such a big way. She actually used to be a rock star. She's literally a rock star, you guys. She's literally a rock star, and she has that kind of presence and passion that inspires in the same way that people who are rock stars inspire. And I uh, was drawn to her through her work, Up Level You, and that was her first book. And she went from, and she'll be talking about her personal story, but what struck me was that she translated her experience of being a vocal artist into teaching people how to channel their passion and use their energy. This is what this woman does like no other, using their energy to create success and work that people love, work that you love. And so this, this is something that I've always been enamored with Christine about, and now she's actually channeled it even further in this new book. So I want to first welcome Christine to the stage here, our virtual and audio stage um, on the Emerging Women podcast. Welcome, Thanks, Chantal. Christine. So good to be here and connect with you again. I know. I can't believe how the journey has been for both of us. I know. Huge. So huge and never ending juiciness. Um, <laughs> I know. It's so funny being an entrepreneur, um, how much it develops you as, as a person, as a soul. Isn't that what your experience has been? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what prompted the book to be written and um, realizing not just from my own path, going from the music business into the coaching world is how many people are really wanting and craving something that's deeper and led and called by the soul, by something deeper than just the typical rigid rules of our world. And when I look back, and even in our, you and me, when we had our early conversations, that's what we talked about was how something other than just your ego has always been driving something and even if it takes you into uncertain territories, it's always worth it in the end. Totally. Right? I know Steve Jobs said that you never make sense of your life looking forward. You can only make sense of it when you look back and then you start connecting the dots and see how everything fits together. So true. Yeah. What I love about your story and just like having seen you over the years is that you just, you're like a reinvention machine. And... <laughs> You never throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you take a little something from what you were successful with and it, it sort of comes with you. So it's not exactly like a, somebody might say, oh, I went from being a rock star to like being a coach. That's a 180. But for, I don't know what it is about your work, but it never seems like you're doing a 180. It seems like it's a, uh, you know, and it's always like an and. Well, where I would I would first speak to on that one is um, I think the word reinvention is a little misleading for some people because I think it makes it seem like, you know, you sit down and you say, all right, this is where I'm going to go next and I'm going to make this happen. And in my experience, reinvention is kind of the same thing that you said about the Steve Jobs quote, which is you you sort of look back and you see that you reinvented, but if you're using intention and if you're really following your, I'm going to say guidance, your mm -hmm. intuition, it doesn't feel like reinvention at the time. Half the time, it feels like total chaos. <laughs> it's just, I'm not, am I reinventing myself or is everything falling apart here? And so, but you have to keep following that calling and going through those open doors. And so for me, a lot of people will look back now and say, how did you go from being a musician to starting a coaching company? And I can look at it and say, well, it was kind of natural because I was on stage playing music and people kept coming to me after I finished signing CDs and asking advice. And I would unknowingly be coaching them. And then I started these retreats. And then that led into an online version of the retreat. All the while, I was still playing music. And then at one point, I actually did draw the line and say, I'm not going to do music anymore. I'm going full time into coaching. And that's when I guess it could look like reinvention, but it was sort of... Uh, re reinventing itself all along based on the fact that like five years prior, I knew I wasn't going to be playing music anymore. And I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. If that all makes sense. It all makes sense. All makes sense. And I love how nonlinear you are. <laughs> um, it, I just love that. What's interesting about it is that People always say, like, you got to get clear if you're going to go for your dreams, right? Yeah. Get clear. And I just, I, because I'm someone who lives in murky, um, like you, and it's not always comfortable. In fact, it's always very uncomfortable. But I have gotten to the point where I'm tired of striving for absolute clarity. And I'm telling people that clarity is overrated. That's where great. do you sit on that spectrum of, like you said, it seemed like you were more leaning toward the emergent path rather than the reinvention path, which, which definitely feels very deliberate and focused and clear. But, you know, it's good to be clear, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know you teach that in your up level, right? To helping people get clear on their, you know, on their message. And so, but now you're in the soul sourced, which feels a little bit more murky. So where, where are you on that spectrum? <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I actually have a, a little, there's a section in my book that is, it actually is called Some Clarity on Clarity. Because the whole book opens up, um, it's broken into four sections. And the first mm -hmm. section is all on about intention. And the whole thing says exactly what you're just saying. It, I, I'm going to read this one paragraph. It says, I can't count the number of people who've shown up at my events, stood at the microphone and announced that they want clarity. Clarity on my message, clarity on my purpose, clarity on my ideal client clarity on my next steps, especially when it comes to initiating intention, clarity is the ingredient everyone's craving. But what is clarity? What is this thing we want so bad? And most importantly, why don't we seem to have any? And where I kind of go in the book is that clarity, I look at it as like a way of life, but that doesn't mean you walk around 
being clear. It starts, I think, with what you're saying right now is listening to yourself and being willing to walk through that uncertainty. So there was a point, like for instance, in about, I was was about 10 years into my music career. Things were going very well. I was, I was, you know, by all, by all independent musician accounts, I was successful. And I had done a ton of work on myself. And I knew I, I had this very deep awareness. I wasn't going to be doing this anymore. And that desire for clarity comes up in that I could feel my own little inner drama queen. And you and I speak Enneagram, so we know where that comes from for me, is that I I wanted to make this big pronouncement and tell everyone, I'm not going to be doing music anymore and make like some kind of leap. But I sat there with myself and said, what if you just lived through that murky? And you know that this is out there, but you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't have to announce it. And you just start following where this takes you. And I did that. And I kept playing music and I kept um, going on tour and doing the opportunities that came up with that. And I was making CDs and a DVD, all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, I followed the delights that opened up for me, like um, Derek Sivers, the guy who founded CD Baby. I was one of his artists. He sent out an email to his artists and said, you guys, I think everyone should look at blogging. And that was 2005. 2006, I think. And I started blogging and I loved it. And I wasn't blogging about music. I was blogging about creativity. And that led into people starting to discover me who had no idea that I was a musician. And then that led into me getting more people at my retreats. And then I did an online program. I started following things, but the the, the intention was guiding it, but I wasn't necessarily clear on the outcome. And that's the key thing is like being clear on what you know about yourself is one thing and where your delights are is one thing. But I think we have this mistaken view of clarity as I know exactly how this is going to end. And that's the weird, you know, that's the weird entrepreneurial thing. We actually act like we all know everything. And, and that's what a lot of the, you know, the business gurus out there pretend to do. But most of us, if you really look backstage for most of us, half of a, you know, we're, we're just like, we're winging it <laughs> to some degree. There is a certain amount of like action taking that you follow once you have that intention going. But anyone who says it's all clear is completely lying. I, in, in my, my, in my experience, both with me and, and coaching thousands of people at this point. Yes, totally. Although I do know people who definitely have more of that process where they set a goal they get their mm-hmm. checklist out and they're checking those boxes and they're doing it. And um, I wouldn't put them in the sole sourced camp, but I yeah. would put them in the strong doing get or done push through willful camp. Mm-hmm. And I do, I have encountered people like that and there's a lot of undoing. They don't, they, what's missing in that approach is it's really hard to get sourced from soul and to be connected to something that feels more fulfilling when you're in that methodology. But I mean, mm-hmm. I myself have gotten a lot uh, over the finish line by doing that, but it has cut me off from what I've really wanted. So I've gone down some, you know, I know there are no wrong paths, but I've, and I know we never waste time, but it feels like, gosh, if I was sourcing from soul earlier in my life, what would, you know, and I'm, I have no regrets, but for those of us who lean too heavily on that methodology, you know, um, I think it's a great opportunity here to find power elsewhere. 
And those yeah. boxes will still get checked. Absolutely. And the, the boxes are a part of it as well. I mean, I want to be real clear that this is not a book that says just put it out there and the it'll all trickle toward you, you know, yeah. or fly toward you. There is, you know, the the way I teach business is that there is a every business has a strategy track and a soul track. And the strategy track is everything we associate with business, and that's your sales, your systems, your marketing, and all those things we have to do. But then the soul track to me is where I've seen most people either, you know, stop themselves or really be able to soar. And, and that is like that methodology of finding out how you do it best. And yes, of course, not everyone is going to be drawn to a book called Soul Sourced. But I find that there are more and more people who need that kind of um, alternative, that kind of structure, that way of structuring things so that there is a little bit more freedom to it. Yeah. Especially now. I think there is a lot more of that right now because more and more people are starting businesses and they don't always start with the perfect laid out plan. They start with like an idea or a skill set. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, I have a business. Oh my God. Right. Well, here's an interesting thing around intention and we'll move into the other four uh, quadrants of your book. But without, let's say um, we use you as an example you had something that was opening you to something new. You knew you wanted something new. And so when people aren't clear, because most of the people I think when they're on the beginning of their, you know, emerging journey are not clear and then they beat themselves up for not being clear. And then they compare to everybody else who's further along who has a little bit more clarity and they're like, they're so clear. I can't move forward if I'm not clear. So we've already established Moving forward is possible when we're not clear. But what are some of the markers that you, you know, for you, there was discontent, right? Or mm -hmm. what was it that, how did you know that you wanted something new? And then how did you shape your intentions such that you were open to these possibilities? God, that's such a, there's so much in that question. There's, it's such a good one. Um, and I want to make sure I, respond to it from a deeper place because it's it's not one left brain tidy kind of answer because I, I one of the ways I teach intention is that we have different kinds of uh, types when we set intention so with me I that my discontent, as you called it, is what I call intention from, meaning sometimes you don't know what you want. You just know that you're not there now. Like I, for me doing music, I think I had a really deep dream to play music, but it was so buried and so unattainable or seemingly unattainable that I didn't even, I couldn't even bring that to light, but I knew I was work. I was right out of college. I was working a cubicle job. I hated everything about it. And even though, but from an ego standpoint, I was working at, it was, you know, Ogilvy and Mather. And anyone who knows that, you know, the advertising PR world knows that's a pretty nice job to get right out of college. And yeah. the adults in my world thought it was very impressive. And so where I think we lose our clarity and our desire is that we get all this like ego bling. And I, I was so in tune with what everyone else thought of me that it was hard for me to even acknowledge how unhappy I was in it. And the, the, the part about like where I actually, you know, got clear and said, I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to go and 
try my hand at doing music, which I didn't even know what the, <laughs> what the hell that involved at that point. But the first step was like to quit the job and to say, I'm not doing this anymore. And the amount of resistance I got from the world around me, whether it was my parents, my friends, my peers at work, it was huge. I, I sometimes look back and I say, I thank that person for whatever the hell happened inside of her that made her face all that and do that. And that's what everyone, when they're asking questions about how do I find my intention or what I really want. In my experience, most people do know in some degree what they want or what they don't want, but it is so scary to take that step. And so that's the, that's the first thing. And then the other side of that intention is that what I call intention toward, like you said, with those people who really know what they want, they really go for it. They keep yeah. looking forward. And that's, that's a different way of doing it. And the, I do think that some of them from a very deep uh, energetic and soul place, however you want to describe it, they were born that way. Like they They've done it that way all the time. And not everyone has the same style. And so finding who you are in all of this is what I'm most interested in, is like bringing all of this stuff to where your life is teaching you about you, your business is teaching you about you, and your wisdom comes because you paid attention. Yes, totally. The paying attention is so key. And so what advice would you have for somebody who is not clear? They know that they don't want to do what they're doing now. They have the what I call the fire of emergence within them, meaning there's a, a longing and a desire to build up for something different. Mm, I love that. And what, like, in if you could like write words to that, or lyrics, or mantras, <laughs> or what kind of intention would you recommend that they go through to set um, prior to clarity on exactly what they're going to be doing? Well, it. I mean, there's different places. Um, it's really hard to give standard, you know, here's, you know, what to do. Cause somebody could, you know, one person could have kids and feel like, oh, I can't possibly try anything new. And one person could have other reasons that are, are we have so many reasons why it, it's harder for us. And, and I take those very seriously when I'm coaching someone. So the first thing I probably would start somebody with is uh, coaching with somebody you know, getting even a life coach, somebody who is a cheerleader for your success and your, you know, awareness mm-hmm. and ha- have somebody there who's not like, oh, girl, you're going to fail. Or <laughs> all the people who yeah. said to me, you know, for me, the big one was there's only one Mary Chapin Carpenter because she was my huge idol at the time. Yeah. And um, so I... I had so many people telling me why it wouldn't work. And I think our friends and our family are a lot of times in our culture, they are there for our comfort and safety. And when you're talking about this beautiful idea of the, the emergence that you, you know, the fire of emergence, I love that. The, that usually takes something a little bit outside of the comfort and safety world. It's somebody who is saying, I've been there I know you can do this. And that's for me what, what did a lot for me. At first, I was just, I was reading tons and tons of books and really saying, hey, if this worked for this person, it it has to be true at some degree for me. Uh-huh. And then when I did have the the money as a musician to hire a coach, that kind of propelled that to the next level because I had somebody looking at it from a different from a different perspective than just stay safe, stay small 
this is as best you could do. You should be happy for what you've got right now. Don't keep growing. You know, <laughs> the coach was yeah. like, let's grow. Let's expand. What do you truly, what is your desire? And, he, and a good coach is going to pull that out of you as well. So I, I and I hate to disappoint you and not say like, oh, here's my five straight answers, but I'm, I've done yeah. this long enough to know that the, the, the whole idea of being soul sourced is that there's, there's sticky, icky, mucky, and a lot of murk you have to work through yeah. if you're in that place of truly, I don't know. I have a whole section in the book at the, at the very end of the intention chapter about, or intention section. It's all about what to do if you don't know what you want. And it's those kinds of things because there's reasons why. Sometimes you're in a you're not meant to know right now. Sometimes you're pretending you don't know because you've never asked yourself. So there's mm-hmm. different contexts for why we don't know what we want if that's what's going on for somebody. Yeah. First of all, I love your answer. I, Long and rambly. <laughs> I, no, love it, love it, love it. It's funny. My um, my old boss at Sounds True, Tammy Simon, used to always say. I don't know how anybody can evolve spiritually without a spiritual coach or a life coach of some kind ongoingly mm-hmm. or a therapist or somebody like that in your life that, you know, God, I mean, I did therapy for 11 years. We, you know, sometimes you're healing and when you're done with the healing, you need somebody to hold your hand on the growth and the development and the, and so I love that suggestion of the life coach cannot say enough about how many Uh, how much influence coaching being coached has done for me. But I also think that for some strange reason, I find it more painful to not be connected to soul, to our soul's purpose, to our uh, deepest desires, that that wondering is way more painful than having that, you know, okay, I think even if it's a little still vague, being connected to that, but not knowing how to do the mechanics is less painful. So that's why I wanted to spend a lot more time in this interview on helping people get to that place where they're feeling at least more connected. Connection over clarity any day of the week. Mm -hmm. And so a coach, or even just setting the intention of I will be connected to my soul's purpose. I will be connected to source. I know this is my divine right to be more connected to that. It's that kind of intention that if we can stay positive, that that will happen for us, that will give us the relief we need so that we can just, you know, uh, get more and more connected as we go along. So in that, and to that end, what you're speaking to is sort of the the malaise, I guess, of our culture. I don't want to call it like a disease because that makes it sound like really um, unsolvable. But there there is so much distraction mm-hmm. and so many things that pull us out and in a really socially acceptable way mm-hmm. of our soul. And so I think a lot of us are really scared to look at that divine thing because it may the, – the, the divine messaging, the divine connection – because it may make take us in a more uncomfortable direction and looking deep within is uncomfortable if if we're really going to go there you know to to sit down and write in you know to use artists way vernacular to write morning pages your first few times mm-hmm. until it becomes a habit to sit down and meditate your first well, I could say a few times, but for me, it was more like my first year um, until you start to realize it's okay to be with me. 
um, I think some of the that connection comes from silence, comes from emptiness, comes from the space to really truly connect and listen to yourself. And again, I wish there was some like five step plan for that. But you're you're now talking about the ultimate, you know, murky territory because this is you, and not you, Chantal, but you, anybody coming to connection with who you truly are and that's that's very deep and and it is very painful when you're disconnected but it's so easy to not be right now because there's all kinds of things that sensorily or emotionally grab us away from who we truly are and who we're meant to be yeah yeah and, and so we I go find- running and running and running and looking yeah. for what am i meant to be what am i meant to be but that's that's looking outward for something that we really have to go inward for Hells, yes, totally. And in my experience, the outward manifestation of once we're connected inward is, I mean, I don't want to say that it's easy because, I mean, Jesus, we've been in the grit and the grace of entrepreneurship for, you know, I've known you eight years now. Um, So, you know, it's not all just fab, but it's way easier when you're connected and soul sourced than when you're not. In fact, I I just will call it the hell realm when you're trying to be successful without that connection personally. Um, And I think we can be blind to the damage that it does when we're just focused on, and I feel like I'm repeating myself, but yeah, this, this old version of success, this old version of quote making it, this old version of entrepreneurship which is so focused on the milestones and the achievements and mm-hmm. whether you're raising money and all of that w- without that connection, it's, uh, I, you know, well, it's, I, it's leading I, to overwhelm. <laughs> well, the pressure though, I think the thing is, is that is what for me, and I'm, I'm going to speak from my experience, the, when things are going very well financially and the goodies are all coming in and everything's going great, the pressure to keep on that path it's not even pressure. It's just you have so much approval around you. And so many people like your accountant is all happy. Your lawyers are happy. Your team is happy. And it's so much easier to pretend there's not something deeper inside of you that's going, okay, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. Because you're driving for another outward thing, an outward approval, whatever that might, whatever your thing is, you know, for me, it was that it was like, well, everyone else seems to be really happy, but I'm, I'm exhausted. And so when I've in the last, God, since we've known each other, I've done some, some reworking of my own business and kind of downsizing because in the entrepreneur world, there is a real huge demand to scale. That's the message. Everyone's like scale, scale, more, better, more, better. And if you, for me, and that's fine. If somebody wants to, that's great. But for me, and I've, I've coached many people to scale, but when somebody has that empty, glazed over, something's not working feel and that, that frenetic outer, it's tough to be a coach at that point. Because when somebody's getting all the goodies and you're saying, I think maybe you're being called to look within, it can be real hard for them to stop oh, and totally. pause. I mean, so there's, yeah, there's many layers and levels of it, as you know. Well, it's hard to walk away from the money and Mm -hmm. the success and the audience. And I mean, we find this a lot in the executive world too. I mean, they they call it what a golden handcuffs. 
there's a lot of people we know that want to make shifts that feel, uh, you know, toward sole purposed work that feel completely trapped and want to become entrepreneurs or create a side hustle with uh, not just what still their parents, even in their 40s, are expecting of them, their families, but also just I've created a life around this. I mean, Mm -hmm. just to be real, level of income and how can I pivot towards something more soul-sourced at this point? So there's some real, like, you know, real, like you said, you know, lots of people that have different limits, kids or other things pulling at them. So making big leaps towards a high-risk but (laughs) soul-fueled endeavor can be scary and uh, and maybe a good into the power discussion. Okay. Yeah. Thing, and I'm just curious. But just, just even to speak to that, I, there's a story I tell in the book of when I quit my job and I, I had this moment and it's going to sound ridiculous to anyone who hasn't been there, but I was taking yeah. my car mm-hmm. in to be repaired and I was filling out the intake forms and it had this section for employer. And I had like a panic attack in the Ford dealership because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to be able to write Ogilvy and Mather and have this sense of identity and have this sense of like pride. Never mind that no one in the garage even pays attention. You're like, why do I yeah. care about this person? And I really just sat with that of like my entire world has been based on what do people think of me and really being held up by this flimsy thing, but it's so terrifying to let that go. And for me at the time, it was like, I'm not going to be employed. That's a big deal. I grew up in Washington, DC, where employment, you know, that all the trappings and being very successful and being, you know, intellectually (laughs) better than everybody else was was all the trappings of that. But there was a real, I'm going to say for three years, people thought I was a complete and utter loser. And I had to walk through that fire because I didn't, it wasn't like I stepped out of uh, the job and then went into like being on stage and being Madonna. And I never actually did end up being Madonna, but I mean, like I, I never even, I didn't have any, anything to show for it. I was learning my craft. I was learning how to have, you know, get, get a gig, how to be a music, like so many things. And nobody could see the growth that was going on. And I was also going to a lot of different healers because I moved to Asheville, North Carolina. And there was all kinds of, like just the world of angels showed up for me. It just that I had to let go of the world of my identity, the opinions, and really be like disdained by many of the people in my life. And I, so I get that that's a, that's a walk through fire some people have to make, but I don't think it always has to be that big. Cause I think when you said the word side hustle, I think you can grow something on the side and slowly let go of that other thing as well. I think everyone does it differently. Hello, lovely listeners. I want to pause for a moment here to make sure that you know how you can get even more access to this type of inspiration and support. Emerging Women has its own membership community where you get teachings from incredible female leaders and coaching support directly from me, as well as other brilliant members within the Emerging Women tribe every month. If you are ready to go deeper into your own leadership and emerging journey, head over to emergingwomen.com for a free trial of our membership community. We've truly designed it as a hub for women like you who want to create change in the world. Don't go it alone, sisters. Head over to emergingwomen.com forward slash membership and start your free trial today. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Oh, gosh, if you can do this, wipe the slate clean and just quit 
and you mm-hmm. have that period of like just space. Mm-hmm. I have to, I, I never had that myself. I just took a leap and went right into something else. But I have seen people do that, you know, press the pause button. Like, you know, something's not working. Like you said, you put a stake in the ground and you took that leap and you just quit. That is such a gift. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like the gift of boredom, right? We don't get that much anymore. That kind of quiet, unknown, what's next space, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just such a rare gem, especially now in our culture of overstimulation and so many choices that I just applaud you for doing that. And <laughs> especially walking away from the cachet of that world. But I just find when I meet people who do that, I'm in awe, number one. And number two, I feel like it is such an effective move because you clear the decks. You re- and you face down. And you learn trust. Yeah, yeah. Um, the hard I did learn trust. Yeah, trust was a big <laughs> thing, but I keep learning trust. That's the other thing because yeah. trust was my word of the year last year, oh. um, which was a really interesting one during COVID. Mm-hmm. And because uh, we have an event-based business, we would we do four retreats a year for our clients and events and that kind of thing. And we moved over to virtual, as I'm sure you know the whole, the whole mm-hmm. shift. But so trust, it wasn't like, oh, well, I gained trust and now I'm this sole sourced, you know, fairy that runs around being so perfect in every way. I continue to deepen my relationship with what trust even looks like as, a, as an entrepreneur and a human. Um, so it's, like I said, it's something where you can be inspired by other people, but your own life is what's bringing you the, the beautiful lessons and wisdom that you need. Right. Well, I'm curious to see for you, what does trust look like? um, I think it's really tuning in to a deep source, like uh, of truth telling for me of like what, what is working here, what isn't working here. And it's both, I will say that it's not just this soul meditating and it all is revealed. I do a lot of strategy work. So like even in the book, I have a lot of tools that I use that are very left brain seeming. So for instance, when I finish, uh, when we finish an event, when we, when we finish a round of work with a, a group of clients, I do a process with my team where we say what worked, what didn't, what do we do differently? And it leads to a lot of action steps, but it also leads me to look at where was I drained? Where did I give my power over to somebody else? Where did I make someone, um, where did I go into drama? Or where did wanting to smooth something over lead me to not tell total 100% truth? So all of those little exercises help me see, um, spot it more in the moment. You know, it's like the the guy walking down the road, falling in the hole, and then the walking down. You know, the next day he walk. You know, eventually he walks down that different road. It's a something that's talked about in twelve step meetings quite a bit. Oh. Um, but I don't know if you've heard the story. But you walk down the road. The, the guy walks down the road, falls in the hole, and then he spends all day trying to get himself out. He walks down the same road the next day, sees the hole, tries to fall, tries to not fall in, and then he falls in anyway. Spends the whole day getting trying to get himself out. Walks down that same road the next day tries not to fall in, tries not to fall in, takes all his effort and he doesn't fall in. And then the next day he walks down a different road. So that's, that's sort of how this, the, the trust thing happens is that you learn by doing it and watching yourself be imperfect or watching yourself. Where did I get drained there? How did I contribute to that? Where did I know? Like we all know those times where our intuition was talking to us, screaming at us and we, 
okay, I'm going to do it anyway. And we learn, uh, that's how we learn intuition is by doing things. So the trust comes from really living with presence and then also forgiving myself for being human and screwing up a lot. Yeah, I love what I love that. That's how we learn intuition is by doing things. It's a really interesting combination between you have the intuition, you do the wrong thing, you get feedback. It's a little analytical. You're like, okay, there's some evidence. Let me try the way that I was thinking. And then, you know, kind of, um, I know that's one of your four quadrants here is interpreting your experiences, but like evidence-based, like this didn't work and then this didn't work, but this worked and this worked. And I think that we forget about that with intuition. And like you said, it seems like we're, we put, oh, it's all airy-fairy and I'm following my bliss. And um, But there's some real, like you said, left brain work that needs to be done to make this all work together and to develop that trust. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, one of the things that um, I love that you focus on in your book is power. So talk to me about power and talk to me about power, especially in this place where we're not 100% clear. Okay. So let me frame this from the perspective of intention So a lot of us love to talk about intention and intention is a powerful thing that we each do. And the way I teach my clients about it, it's like, yes, intention is there and that's great. But the mistake is thinking I set the intention and then it's all, it all happens. And what has to happen afterwards is like you set that intention and you're then you are managing, I call it managing your power mostly because I don't have a better way of putting it, but managing your power or managing your energy. And so like, for instance, when you set an intention, oftentimes that intention in business will bring up anything unlike that intention. And a lot of us, especially if you've had some kind of hideous religious background of, you know, a lot of punishment and (laughs) shame, what we will often say is, see, this wasn't meant to be. And what I often will see more often than not is that you set an intention and what comes up are the things that need to be uh, cleaned up or cleared out where, where that thing is not congruent with what that intention is. So for instance, I'm going to make a really general example and I've seen it so many times that I'm able to put it in a general term, but if somebody let's say somebody has reached a point of, you know, they've made 150000 in their business, they know they can do more, things are growing, it's looking good. And they set an intention for, you know, I want to, I really want to grow into a seven figure business. And I know that's very surfacey or whatever, but we're doing hell's no. Yeah. So be they say that. money here. Money. Okay, good. I like, I like talking money. And I, you know, I speak about money in the book and what, you know, I, but, and everyone yeah. gets really triggered when you say it, but I just wanted to put that out there. So that. what happens though, is that the things that got you to that 150 K level are, have to change. Like how you do meetings, who is on your team, what, who you're hiring, how you're pricing yourself and what those things bring up your relationship with your power. And this is where we're going to also talk, you know, you have to look at your clarity at this point too, because when, you know, clarity is not just an internal quality, it's also how you communicate with people. Mm -hmm. So if you continue to discount because you have this need for everyone to like you and you're trying to set a number out there and say, I won't work 
for less than this amount, you've got that like chaotic vibration between the intention and the and all of your emotional needs. And that's what that's how I define power is that power is being able to use your energy to break through those to call your power back to you to use Carolyn Mace lingo. Yeah. So it's really like being able to say at the end of the day, oh, where did I lose my power? Like, where is this thing not working? Or when I got on that sales call and that person said, wow, that's a lot of money. You know, when you said your pricing and you went, yeah, okay, what if I gave you a discount? You gave your power. You, you basically said, screw my intention, screw my clarity. I'm scared of losing this person and I'm so I'm giving all my power over to money now and I'm going to discount myself and go back to where I used to be. Mm-hmm. And so managing your power is this this dance that happens each and every day where it's like how connected are you to this intention, this thing you say you want mm-hmm. and being pulled and drawn towards all this neediness and these emotions and this this conditioning that you've set into place your whole life. And it, the power comes first where you're being really like relentlessly aware of where you are giving it away and where you are not clear and where you are draining yourself. And so the the power to manifest an intention is not just about your will. <laughs> it's about managing all this energy that you're given each and every day and seeing where you are so willing to just send it all the time as a business owner. And I'm going to put it in the context of entrepreneurship because that's what, you know, that's who I coach that's and that's focus. what I teach. Yeah. So that's my focus. Yeah. So like as a musician, the biggest, and I tell the story in the book, one of the biggest wake up calls for me, and this was with my very first coach who is no longer alive, but he was truly amazing. I was, uh, playing music, I, things had started getting successful. Investing in him was so, uh, in my results through him was such a big leap for me. I was terrified, mm-hmm. but it because it doesn't just you know translate into money all the time. You have to go through the the hard stuff. And one of the first things he did with me was he started making me look around at my environment and say, you know, where's the clutter? Where's all the stuff? Where's the things you're holding on to? And I kept referring to my basement and blowing off my basement and talking about my basement. And he finally made me like part of our assignment was every week I had to go down in there and start getting rid of stuff. And there was one spot where I got really stuck and he asked me what's going on. And I said, well, it's this big, huge thing of furniture I got when I first moved here to Asheville and I was really broke and I had no money and I went to the Goodwill and I just loaded up my apartment with furniture. And I had since gotten more successful in music. And so my house looked, you know, it was, it was more elegant and beautiful, but for some reason I didn't get rid of the furniture. I put it in my basement and he just jumped on me and he said, so essentially what you're saying is I don't believe in my intention because I have plan B down there. Because when he asked me why I had it, I said, well, if music doesn't work, I might need it. Or if I fail, I might need it someday. Holy, this is so, and so heavy. What oh my he God. Said, he yeah. said, this is, you, the, you're telling the universe right now that in the foundation of your very home, you are standing on the belief that you're not going to succeed. Right. And then, and I get chills even saying it because it yeah. was such a big deal. And that next week, I, I called up Habitat for Humanity. They came over, they got it. And it's one of those stories that where I wish I could say, you know, I was standing there pumping my fists and saying, you go, girl. And I was viscerally terrified mm. because I was like saying, 
I am, I am not going to stop this thing. I'm not going to have a plan B. I'm doing this. This is it. This is my commitment. And when I can look back at that situation and what came from that, as I faced that fear, was that was like my next CD actually sold, I think, five times more than my other CDs. I was chosen by Borders Books and Music when they were still in, in existence as the, like one of the, I, I don't remember what the thing was, like num- one of the number one CDs in the full category, like just stuff, things happened from that. And it was, I really think it was because I had one deeper lesson in what commitment truly looked like. Yeah. And that's what I call power. Like all our power is everywhere. We think it's this like Wonder Woman sort of a vibe and it's not, it is so subtle and it requires this real relentless honesty with ourselves about why, why we're doing what we're doing and stepping off the whole, you know, the victim identity and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, like I have money issues. Well, okay, let's look at them. <laughs> My well, dad was mean also to me. just okay. the yeah. symbolism and the metaphor. It's one thing to just have the thought or the declaration or the intention and all these things and the energy and we're putting towards it, but combing through our lives and looking in the subtle ways, like, you know, keeping a plan B, which some might say is really smart, right? Really mm-hmm. safe, really smart. And when you say relentless honesty, I think, and you naturally do this, I think, as an artist, is, is you have an attunement to the metaphor and the symbolism in your life that is hidden in so many different places in our worlds, right? So where else are we keeping that plan B open? And, you know, we know from many different people how much mythology and metaphor impacts our lives, even unintentionally. So Mm -hmm. I just love that story because I can think of a million ways where I might be usurping um, the best of my intentions by keeping that plan B kind of stoked and alive and, Mm-hmm. Um, and I yeah. maybe plan B's work for, I mean, for some things, that's not to say never have a plan B and never be safe, but he was using a specific way that yeah. I was saying, I'm not going to succeed, even though my intention was to do better in music. Well, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't think going into your plan A with the plan B on your front of your consciousness is a healthy thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying just be unsafe and just, you know, quit your job and sell your house and, you know, act in that way. But I think that the intentionality maybe with our plan B or the way that we hold it, or I totally agree with that. Yeah. What, with what you're It was said. big for me. Yeah. It was yeah. very big for and me. Scary. And it's still obviously very impactful in that, you know, I included that whole message in my book and we, I do a whole thing called business backstage where you analyze the energy of everything in your business and where it's not serving the intention you say you want in your business from everything from people to things to how you spend your time. And, yeah. and it's just something that we, I think entrepreneurs have to do if they're going to be successful. Well, what I love about this approach is that it really just simplifies things. Power is energy. Power Mm -hmm. is attention, which is another form of energy. And we need to just be vigilant about the leaks in our Mm -hmm. lives. And, you know, like you said, like checking under every rock and sweeping the corners. That's what I love about you as as in your work. It's not just all the the soul stuff but you really 
you know, get down to the nitty gritty <laughs> of you. running a business. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Right. It's, it's so good. So I love the power is energy. I love being vigilant about that, looking for the ways in which we may be unintentionally usurping the best of our intentions, um, interpreting our experiences, right? Just like looking at the data, looking at the data in terms of like what's good from our efforts, what's not working, also looking at the numbers. You make it very easy for us to look at those, you know, kind of look at it, don't avoid it. Now you have this fourth component that we haven't talked about, one that with me uh, has always been sort of heavy and as a seven on the Enneagram, uh, you know, <laughs> I always have the fear of missing out and takes forever to be, you know, to choose what I want on a, on a menu and things like that. But that's decision making. Mm. And I think we've covered some of this because you can't really develop a strong intuition without doing things and being okay to fail. But at the same time, some of the decisions that we face, whether you're an executive or an entrepreneur or you know, just you want to up level, you want to, to, you know, to use the word that gets a bad rap to scale or to change or to pivot or to take this leap. Sometimes these decisions feel so heavy and like we've got to make the right one. What is your take on navigating decisions and why is this such a big part of, of the book? Well, I, I call decisions intentions with legs. Because we can all sit and talk about our intentions, but the intention doesn't usually show up as manifested in itself. Like, oh, look, here it is. And intentions show up as opportunities. They show up as challenges. And so, therefore, this is when our decisions have such a huge component because that's when we're really putting the rubber to the road or whatever metaphor <laughs> you choose to use there. And so, the way – the first thing I think – to do is to look at each challenge or opportunity or something that shows up to see how is this related to your intention. And then when you make a decision, really looking at it from, you know, is this a future-based decision? Is this intention-based versus is this fear-based? And again, it is something where the, that's why I've set it up so that this is the very last section of the book, because hopefully at this point, people are starting to know themselves a little better and see where they get in their own way so that they can fully commit their energy to that decision. And not because they're, they have to make the right decision. We have this addiction in our world to every decision has to be the right thing. Oh God. Yes. <laughs> like if, it's like a lottery. Like I, everything is turned into this thing of like, oh, I did it. And then we write books about how I did it. I did the right one. But what if you'd made the other decision? You wouldn't be writing this book. Like there's so much, there's so many decisions that you make are not great. And that one that you make, that's great. You suddenly think I've mastered it, but none of us ever master decisions. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's really a matter of, I call it navigating because it is a constant um, awareness check-in with where you are. Because the decision you made two years ago, like I see people do this all the time where they'll do a launch and they'll, well, that worked two years ago. I'm going to do the same thing again. And the energy is all gone out of it. And they can try and try and try and do that dance, but it's no longer working because they're no longer the same person with the same intention and the energy has gone. And so again, this is really about being really tuned into who you are and what this decision is in front of you right now. Now, granted, I, I do a whole thing on smaller decisions and how they can eat up at your energy when you don't make some of them that don't have a high impact. But I kind of walk through the smaller ones and into the bigger ones as well, because that's pretty much all we do 
as entrepreneurs is make <laughs> make decisions. That's pretty much totally. it. Yeah. Yeah. So here's a question for you around decision making. What's the biggest risk that you see that is either real or imaginary that holds people back from from me, I'm a procrastinator <laughs> on big and small decisions just because I'm, you know, it's just something I've worked on and, you know, I'm making decisions all day. So it's, it's not like I've, I'm paralyzed, but I know that especially when people are taking a leap and pivoting into something new, I'm just curious to see over, you know, the decades of, of you holding people in the space, what are some of the things that hold people back real and imaginary? Well, my answer on everything coaching wise is always it's, it depends because it depends on the person in front of you, the entrepreneur themselves, because what feels like a huge risk for one person isn't as much for another. But typically with entrepreneurship, it's either money or it's ego, like losing face, mm -hmm. you know, either in front of your, the bigger your team gets. I think the more risky decisions can feel because you now you have a new group of people that you have to that, that are going to see behind the scenes and, and where you screwed up or whatever because you're leading this ship. Um, I see that get in the way for people, mm -hmm. and but but all of this is like in the realm of like just these pro and con lists or left brain or even some emotional pieces. And so is the it, usually the risk is more imagined than it is for real? Like when you say, what okay. is the biggest risk? I mean, I'm think, I'm trying to think of somebody like right in my world right now that I'm coaching um, who has a very successful business who pulled herself out during COVID, got out of a very hard situation, got on top of things, like went from being 500,000 in debt into being back in the in the black everything going well and now what she her she the ego comes back up she's about to do a a big event sort of a thing and what has happened is the trauma like the PTSD from last year is rearing its ugly head and it's saying now you have more to lose again before you didn't have anything to lose so of course you could build back up and now you're 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 up higher and so again it's like this is just the voice of trauma coming up to to work through you know to work itself through with you and so the perceived risk is different for every single person and i think the bar gets it can the bar can get raised when you get more successful if you have nothing to lose like when i was first playing music and everybody thought i was an idiot i could decide anything then it wasn't going to matter and then i got more successful and it felt like the risks were were bigger because now if i make a wrong move everyone's going to see it but either way it's still you relating to you and being with you at the end of the day. And I know that's kind of nebulous, but I, I don't know that. Well, th this is an exact, and I know, you know, we're ending soon here, but I just want to say this is exactly, I think I have faced this myself and I've seen lots of people face it again on both sides, corporate side, you know, when you're going for a promotion or, especially on the on the entrepreneur side when you've had some hits and you're going again for another you know you then but you, then you've recovered you uh, you've up leveled and it's time to we can't avoid risk mm -hmm. you know anywhere you can't avoid risk so 
I myself have gone through this where I've had some PTSD over some, you know, challenging financial challenges in my business, but I still need to take this leap. And that's held me back. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm hearing you say is when you do the work up front to stay connected to what we say is the truth of who you are and the soul part of your business, and you can lead with that for reals and mm-hmm. trust it for reals, not just make it a, you know, a soft cloud to lean on and, and, you know, when things are going well, but to actually lead with it and put your energy there and trust it, that it just makes it a little easier. <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if that's, it's- well, and I'll also say, I think one of the big, the, I would say the biggest risk around decisions is what we do to ourselves inside is not making them is the drainage that comes from an unmade decision. And that's, that's one of the key things is I think a lot of us have a million unmade decisions inside of us. And it's, it is like just constantly having something spinning inside of your brain. And it can, it, that to me impacts your energy on a daily basis and makes all decisions harder and harder. And you keep making it harder and harder on yourself when you don't make a decision out of fear. Right. And when you say decision, in my mind, I'm hearing a little, because the big ones have a little risk. Yes. So always. um, Yeah. Every time you, I mean, every time you set a a date for an event or a date for your webinar or anything, there's that, that's that line that gets drawn and you're like, I'm in, I'm doing it. I'm fully committed. And it's, it can be really terrifying depending on who you are, but it also is the most freeing thing because now you're fully committed. You're completely enrolled. And I think commitment is the key thing. Definitely. Entrepreneurs are masters of commitment at the end of the day. Yeah. Love it. Okay, Christine. Well, I'm so excited um, for your new launch and I know we've got more coming with you with our audience and I just congratulate you on, you. again, doing the big work of marrying the hard realities of business um, with the, the spiritual growth and development and, and calling that being an entrepreneur involves. And you have always walked that line so beautifully and have inspired us in that work. So I'm, I'm excited to spread the, the news about your book and yeah, we will follow up here. I'll put in the show notes links. We have pre-orders up already or? It's um, actually already out. It's already it's out. out. It's okay. on Amazon. Yes, The Soul Sourced Entrepreneur. It's on Amazon. You can find it. It's also, at the, you can look, read more about it. at um, It's soulsourcedbook.com is the page about it. But yes, it's up on Amazon. Wonderful. And, uh, and you have um, workshops and coaching um, that follow the methodology as well. Yes. Do- and when you get the book, there's a, a page you can go to get the tools that are all in the book. They're all beautifully laid out in little PDFs and you can download them and start working them right away. And that is what I love about your work is that it's seriously, (laughs) you guys, you can roll up your sleeves, get the pens out, get on the keyboard and actually just get into that space where you're bringing things across the finish line in a very real way. Thanks. I like tools. I like giving people actually stuff they can do. Yeah, (laughs) It helps. We're in business. We got to do it. We got to do it. All right. right. Well, thanks so much, Christine. Take good care and um, we'll be in touch following this. So good luck with everything. And we're so grateful you're with us. Oh, thank you so much, Chantal. It's been an honor to be here. Take good care. Bye. Bye.